asiafitnesstoday.com presents the Kurang Manis podcast, a 40-minute talk show in English and light doses of Bahasa Malaysia, Penang Hokkien, and various other languages in future. We talk about everything sports, fitness, and wellness from the Asia-Pacific region and beyond. A documentary first, Rediffusion-inspired, raw-as-can-be chit-chat show with athletes, medical doctors, allied health professionals, and the fitness and wellness world. You. It's a show about us. We tell your stories as they happen in our lives. Join us every so often and bring your cup of tea. In Malaysia, it's the teh tarik, made frothy by the swift hand movements of a tea-pulling expert and just a mere eight teaspoons of sugar. Boss, kurang manis, ya? When in Australia, as we do so in Malaysia, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the country, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to episode 2. In the last episode, Dr. Desmond Menon posed a question to Nicole David, the World Games' greatest athlete of all time and also world number one squash player for 108 months consecutively. This is what he asked. As an athlete, you know, your body is constantly being challenged to maintain peak performance mm-hmm. uh, and being able to ensure that your, you know, your competitiveness and, you know, your longevity in the sport. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing, needless to say, at your level, unlike, you know, the everyday athlete, there's probably a strict regiment that you have to adhere to even when it's off season uh, to ensure that you keep healthy mm-hmm. as, you know, those sort of effects sort of carry over to your next season, you know, recovery and readiness and whatnot. So can you maybe tell us uh, what is done to monitor and understand uh, how well your body functions internally to ensure your body, fun- you, know, uh, you know, it's functioning at its optimum uh, to benefit from the training that you're going to do off season and also cope with the challenges during the competition season? Yeah, well, um, basically, I I would start a year to pro- and you and that ha- happens with all our the squash players and I think the other athletes here in Malaysia as well. We'll do a a fitness test in the be- beginning of the year, so we would make sure that we will see what what is lacking, what needs to be strengthened, and then there'll be a training program that will be set specifically for my body type. Uh, it's like my left side is not not as strong so we have to focus emphasize on how am I going to strengthen the left side of my body because squash is very one one dimensional all the time so um so but we are very we go into very specifics when it comes the in the beginning of my career it was very basic like get stronger <laughs> all around strength and then you go and then when you get to number one it's like okay now it's refinement so 
every every small thing counts. So if I'm getting stronger now, how am I going to get more explosive? Like all these factors are being counted in my program and that program will be put into like three or four different phases. So beginning of the year for the first quarter towards a tournament and then the middle of the year off-season. So off-season training is actually even heavier training because you've got time to build your base. So more like heavier weights, um, stronger, like things that you do more endurance, longer periods. And then it gets, and when it's closer to a competition, you go fast switch stuff. So like more quick stuff and, and everything's explosive, explosive. And then it's a loss, but then that's not including the squash side yet. So that's just building the physical aspect. And then the squash stuff, you have your development of the technical side. And whatnot, and all these things is just training. But then I have a lot of recovery. With my physios every every week, I'll have a physio session. And when I got older, <laughs> I'll have two sessions in the week or three sessions every two two days, yeah. because then my body needs to recover. And in competition, I get a physio to work work on my body before the match to get me ready. And then a recovery session after. So all these things have to be in place to make sure my body's in optimum performance state. Well, thanks. <laughs> Does anything get done from a blood work perspective to understand whether or not you're pushing too much or not enough or everything? So you get blood work done as well? Yeah, like like acid. We do like um our VO2 max test. And um usually I always have like a very high, I don't know, high tolerance for some re- but my heart rate is quite high but for some reason i still push the threshold i it's somehow it seems abnormal but it's it's just how it is and but uh but training wise it doesn't seem to go down that i i just keep working on a very high wow. threshold rate that's, that's <laughs> and uh, and i just keep where you are <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but like but then uh, but what what helps me a lot is that i do a lot of high intensity training but then i it's it's according to like uh stages so i have to make sure i don't high intensity all the way the week because my body will break down it's like medium high low so that it's staggered to recover recovery is the most important thing like sleeping well making sure I get enough rest in between my sessions so that I can push for the next session. So all these things are very important. My sleep, I am called the queen of sleep with my coach. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, sleep is definitely important. They say sleep is when mm-hmm. uh, your body actually sort of reinforces all those connections that you've made. So, yeah, that's the best yeah. thing. Which is probably why yeah, I, exactly. I won't be a, an elite athlete because my sleep is horrible. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking too much. Really. <laughs> no, thanks. Thanks very much for answering my question. Thank you. He, he definitely does think sure. a lot and I, I have really enjoyed <laughs> all the conversations I've had with Desmond because I... We, Thank you, Nicole. David, world, the World Games' greatest athlete of all time, a Malaysian, a Penangite, a down-to-earth woman with a foundation to help young ladies. Um, stay tuned. I think we, we will be hearing from you very soon. I'm excited to see what you're up to yeah. next. Thanks so much, Jasmine and Nikki, for all the questions and having me on your show. And nice meeting you, Desmond. And you take care. Enjoy the rest of the script. Bye. Ciao. Hi.
For all of our friends who've just uh, tuned in and also if you've just joined us and wondering what this is, welcome to the Kurang Manis show. Uh, Kurang Manis is basically a Malaysian, fairly endearing term. It, there's a two-meaning thing to it, but it just means less sugar, please, sir. When you go to a warong or you're ordering your tetare and you say, uh, Kurang Manis, huh? Or I would normally say, uh, kurang, kurang, kurang manis, yeah? So that <laughs> apparently uh, five grams in one teaspoon. So kurang, kurang, kurang manis means like they put three teaspoons of condensed milk in my tea. So <laughs> anyway, if, you, if you've just joined us, welcome to the Kurang Manis podcast. Uh, my name is Jasmine Lowe and with me is my co-host, um, Nikki Yo, she's based in KL, and also we've uh, crossing over to Perth, same time zone as KL, believe it or not, at plus eight GMT. Um, Dr. Desmond Menon from R3 Gen, as you can see on his T-shirt. Yes. Um, Desmond basically <laughs> is in Western Australia, and he's been providing consulting service to medical and sports medicine projects. So what I understand from uh, Desmond, from all of our chats, I think throughout the past year, uh, initially was on um, DNA testing, you know, finding our body's baseline, finding out whether, you know, genetics actually have a play on our uh, susceptibility to disease and so on and so forth. So the, the pivot was really when my mum actually got sick uh, and had a brain tumour. So that was the pivot when I started to really care about health. And it's not so much about wanting to live forever, but to want to live as healthy as possible for as long as we can. So Welcome, Desmond. Um, thanks for having me. Thanks for carving out that question. Very well thought of question for Nicole earlier. Um, we were talking about genetics and lifestyle, right? So, and I was asking um, Sydney Podcast Studios, Rod Mori just now, hey, Rod, do you think me, a couch potato, do you think I could be trained into an elite performance athlete like Nicole? Is it any way possible? Is that is that now posed to me? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, the there are a number of variables that we're looking at here. Um, one, obviously, is how well our body, and, and, and that means, I, by that I mean an individual can adapt to the training or the requirements for a particular sport. So it all one, it depends on the kind of sport you're looking at. Uh, two, you know, I suppose when do you see yourself trying to compete at that level? And and then you know whether or not you you meet those requirements, uh, you know, because I think they have weight and age and those categories come into play. So I think th there's always a chance that anyone can can try and get to that level, but then at that level again, I think that the, ver the, the variability between each person, those slight variances is what then dictates whether or not someone's a champion. At that level, it's no longer you're talking about huge differences between people anymore. It's like sprinters, you know, you're talking about a split second difference and then he's the champion and the other guy's not the champion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so there's a lot in play here. Um, so I think, 
anyone if they were they were sort of bred from young if they recognize if, if someone could recognize that potential in them for a particular sport i think anyone has that capability and then again uh it depends on what sport that they are hoping to be in you know it's like um i i think yeah. you're, you're being very kind Desmond. no 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 <laughs> i i i truly think it's it's possible uh, and um you know i gave you i showed i, I sent you two examples my photos my before and after <laughs> yes um I started off when I was younger as a, and I'm not an elite athlete, but it's just quite interesting at looking at the the whole the the, the difference uh, uh, and and recognizing that if you do the right thing, your your body actually has the has the plasticity to to adapt and change accordingly, and then it's just a matter of how much you want to push it, how well you want to push it, and how smart you want to do it. But then I think dictates whether or not you can get to that level. I, I think uh, Nikki would have a very good example or a question to you as well on that topic on plasticity because she oh, she okay. made us all you know in the office we had this exercise with a water bottle and you can do it okay. at home too if you're watching. So I'm going to pass it over to Nikki to talk about that <laughs> water bottle between your legs. Well, let's chat about plasticity. Um, how yeah. far? How far do you think uh, our body can stretch and change? Uh, maybe you can share your uh, your own journey, Desmond. Oh, okay. Uh, I my own journey. I I I come. Thankfully, I I come from a family that that's um, you know we we grew up liking outdoor activities and sports. Both my parents were very much into sports, uh, and you know for. For boys growing up, the first thing you know, mom says is you've got too much energy to go outside and you know use it up before coming back in. Um, so we got very well acquainted with you know physical activity, and we loved it. You know we loved it. Um, so I, so as far as plasticity is concerned, though, I started off as a very gangly, um, uh, you know, male growing up. In fact, up to my mid twenties, I was still very gangly. Um, but it made sense because my 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 sport was basically distance running. So you know, uh, for a long time, even when I was in in Singapore doing my national service, I think my my weight was probably sixty nine kilos, sixty nine kilos, and I, I injured my knee in the army, and that sort of take, took away any sort of ability to do that sort of distance running anymore. And uh, I had to change sport. I couldn't sit down. It's not, you know, it's, it, it was a habit for us to sort of always be doing something. And so I started gymming. But gymming started because it was. It started from. It stemmed from doing physiotherapy for my knee. <laughs> and mm. I kind of loved the impact because what the injury took away was quite interesting. That your quads, you can actually, if you actually could keep your legs still. Uh, in other words, no muscle twitches and whatnot. You could lose your quads that you've built in, in just two weeks. You can lose it because that's a very heavy muscle for your body to, to supply resources to. So if it doesn't need it, you say, look, we don't need it. Okay, you're not using it. So we'll take the, 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 the you know, resources away from it. Um, so I started going back to, to do physiotherapy. I saw the improvement and it kind of said, well, you know, I, I kind of, can apply this to the rest of myself 
you know, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe I, I loved it a bit too much, but it, it sort of put me on a different <laughs> different path. And I started to build, go to the gym more and uh, do heavy weights. And uh, it took me a while because I'm generally a skinny person. Uh, so if I don't exercise, I actually sort of drop in size. Um, but I found that by changing my diet, uh, the way I ate and, uh, you know, how I trained, it took me a good number of years. But in, in I think the high, the heaviest I've, I've been um, was hun- almost 110 kilos at 12 to 15 percent body fat, which is from 69 kilos. It's, Quite a you know huge difference. Uh, my mom didn't like it, obviously. She said I ruined her good work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she didn't see she didn't see the, the the she didn't see any improvement for her. It wasn't an improvement, but I I was quite fascinated just the that I was able to to get the body to respond. Uh, so from a scientific perspective, it was quite interesting. So once I reached that, I saw like mm, I, I'm kind of done with that. I I now sort of maintain myself as a at a 90 kilo weight range i do as much as i can but you know uh not as probably too old to kind of lift that sort of weight i have to be a bit more careful but yeah so I, i'm just so looking at that and just using myself as an example um i think you know that that, that plasticity is, is is there you know our bodies can actually adapt given the right encouragements you know whether from diet from sleeping properly, um, you know, from training or providing the right interventions. Yep. You know, um, Desmond, if I can just pop in there and uh, ask you about genes, because okay. a lot of times, like my mom, for example, she's she's diabetic and she would say, ah, you're pre-diabetic, huh? <laughs> you're going to get it just like me. So Nikki and I was also talking about this, right, about genes and are we actually predisposed to such kinds of uh, lifestyle diseases or what they call NCDs, non-communicable diseases. Yeah. Is, is it really something that, you know, if, you, if your parents got it, you're going to get it? I think the, the, the key word that people need to recognize here is predisposition. Because, because I think there's an assumption from people, from most people, that when you say predisposition means that you, you're, all, you're definitely going to get it. A predisposition uh, from genetic um, heritability uh, is basically uh, a higher chance. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get it. So what that really means is um, if I can liken it to a, a chain, and if that's your weakest link, um, then if you're pulling on that chain, yes, then you're encouraging it to happen. So in other words, if you're saying, well, you know, my, if your family is predisposed to diabetes, um, and then you you say, well, you, you give into it, oh well, it's going to happen anyway, and then you eat really, uh, your diet's bad, and your 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 activity levels are low, then you're really pulling on the chain, you're encouraging it to happen. Um, but if you, on the other hand, recognizing that this is the the predisposition that you have, that in other words, there's a high propensity for this to happen, uh, given your family heritability. The other path you can take is to try and discourage it from happening. So better diets, you know, better activity levels. Um, and, and along those lines, you, you, because you're not tugging on that weakest link, there is no 
uh, encouragement for that uh, expression in your genes to happen. On, on that uh, note, expression yeah. in your genes. Um, so you've been, uh, we, we were talking in the past about DNA testing. Oh, yes. And checking, like, you know, my baseline, for example. If I do a DNA test, what's my baseline? And then there are markers in there that you can embed. So really, is there any purpose of uh, an everyday bloke down the road doing a DNA test and then knowing what to expect or how to adjust? Well, in terms I think, you know, it, 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 it sort of falls on from what you asked me before. Yeah. Um, I think genetic tests, at its basic level provides people, if nothing else, it provides people that education and understanding. And more importantly, that education and understanding of their, their own selves. Um, you know, if you bring up what you mentioned before, you know, uh, heritability, family heritability, that's something that you, if you didn't sort of venture out to find out what, what's with it, what's in your, what's predisposed, predisposed in your family, then you're probably going to make the mistake of maybe having the wrong diet or, you know, having the, the wrong activity levels or, or doing something that's not encouraging your body in the, in a, a, a better direction. Um, so if, if for nothing else, I think uh, genetic test screening test, what they provide to you is an education of yourself. And with that education, um, it allows you to then do something about it, you know, whether if you're like uh, Nicole David to say who, who's had a, who has a potential to be an athlete, um, you know, on a positive side, if you know what your 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 genetics is like, that means you can sort of cater your training in with that in mind. And on the other end, uh, if you know if you're predisposed to any sort of chronic disease and whatnot, it allows you to then do something to avoid any sort of encouraging. Um, uh, activities that might actually promote those things into in you know into in, in your lifestyle as well. Do you think culturally as well, um, being Asian uh, or having that Asian diet where it's very very carbohydrate, uh, not satiating but carbohydrate rich, uh, satisfying, right? It's satisfying but it's not satiating. Um, you grew up in Singapore. I did, yes. So, so how was your palate trained? Oh, well, I, I was fortunate of the four, four boys. Well, my mom has four of us. I, I was the one with the highest metabolism, so I could eat anything. I was lucky like that. But then again, um, if you looked at the sports I was doing, I was doing always doing something. So... You know, it probably didn't matter what I was eating. I, I think the, the nickname I had growing up was bottomless pit because I could eat. I had, you know, I, I had, I remember when I was in university, um, per meal, so if it was lunch or dinner, I could, regardless of the dishes out there, you know, I could finish a whole tub of rice, two cups basically, if I'd cook rice per meal. And that's just the rice. And it didn't matter. That's a lot of rice. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of rice. I wouldn't do it now, you know, because I don't think I have that sort of activity levels anymore. But um, so, yes, I mean, I ate a lot of carbs. Um, but I think it has had also to do with the fact that I was always moving. I was always doing something that was active. Uh, so, it, you know, and being young, I think your body sort of adapts to it really well. So I grew up eating anything I wanted. 
basically. Um, my mom, I, I hope she's not listening, but I remember when she when, <laughs> when we were young, she brought four of us to Pizza Hut, right? Uh, uh, the few times that we actually went to Pizza Hut. Um, I, long story short, by the end, they had all you can eat, and that's why she brought us there. And she knew what we were, we were like. Um, at the end of the seating, we had the wait, waiters and waitresses standing on one side, just looking at us. We, we finished everything, basically. <laughs> I yeah. can just imagine. So, yeah, yeah. We didn't go back there any after that, by the way. So, um, <laughs> so you know, but, but, so, you know, definitely, I think the, the Asian diet uh, has a lot of carbs in it. But I think that, that it started off with a reason for that. I think uh, back then, a lot of the jobs that were there were very manual jobs. Um, so people needed a lot of energy. And I think, I, I suspect that's probably how it, you know, it, it why it made sense. And even now, uh, we, 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 you know, regardless of what culture we come from, we, I think the majority of our working life is spent sitting in front of a desk on a chair. Uh, that's not a lot of activity. Whereas back then, we probably did, you know, they probably did more than this, you know, in terms of uh, activity levels. So I think they used more energy. And whereas nowadays, really, if you look at it from a purpose uh, perspective, I don't think we need to have that same amount or same level of uh, of, of carbohydrate intake because, you know, we really wouldn't use it. And which is why it's probably going to gather around the sides after a while. And I think that's for everybody. Yeah. Regardless of, regardless of culture. <laughs> well, you, you spoke about um, food and um, tell us your relationship uh, with food growing up in Singapore and now in Perth and, uh, <laughs> and um, what do you now eat culturally, you know? Or, or it's, it's out of habit or is it a culture thing, you know? So I, I again, fortunate because my mom's a really, really, really good cook. She's a really, she, 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 at one point she used to teach it to people. In fact, now when she comes to visit, she teaches my friends as well. Um, so she's wow. really, really, yeah, she's, you know, I've got, I've kept recipes, her recipes as well here. Not that I, I don't know when I'll use it, but, you know, at least I have it. Um, but yeah, so we grew up. We were fortunate in that growing up, we 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 tasted everything. We appreciated, and we appreciated. You know, definitely did. Um, we weren't tied down to a particular thing. I think you know we were quite adventurous. We ate across the the globe, basically. <laughs> so, and and so, I mean, I I think we all learned cooking because we appreciate that. So we we all you know I think generally we all cook, um, but. I, I don't know whether it's because of that, but I think generally we, for me, especially I'll speak for myself, um, I don't crave a particular thing because I've, I've tried it. I've tried many things. And so for some reason I've come to, yes, I love food. Now I'll, I'll go and eat something if I want to eat it, but I don't um, go overly uh, overboard and, start eating a lot of it and uh so i think for for a long time and i think this is a habit that's been built i i eat what i need but at the same time you have to remember what i need had some relevance to what what activities i was doing as well 
So when I was a distance runner, I ate a lot of carbs because I think it would just go away. Um, you know, but I, and, and later on when I was doing a lot of gym and, you know, gym is very short, you know, an hour in the gym, that's it, you're out. But everything's heavy lifting. You, you create a demand for hypertrophy. So muscular growth and whatnot. So I had less carbs because the activities were very short and, and that my diet had a lot more protein in it, you know, vegetables and all that. Definitely you need that there. Um, and so I could see the growth difference, you know, and you were feeding that in my mind, it was yes about eating food I enjoyed, but also eating food that had a, was trying to fuel, fuel a purpose. So even now, um, I don't gym as much. I, I try and maintain, but my diet, I think I, I naturally try to keep it quite clean. So breakfast is always two eggs and a bowl of oats. When I was gymming heavily, it used to be, you believe it, it used to be eight eggs. In a day. And that was why, yeah. That, and that was breakfast number one. And I had breakfast number two as well. But, you know, that was very different because I was, I really needed it. Um, now I have one breakfast, you know, I have one lunch, I have one dinner and have a bit of supper. But what I have in between, within those meals, uh, to some extent, subconsciously planned. So I don't have something that's too much or something that's really unnecessary. Hey, Desmond, how are you doing? Hey, good. Yourself? What's this? Very I, good. I, hear, I saw your photo. You lost like heaps of weight. No. Yeah. I still look the same. But, but you know, the, Jasmine was saying that you went through a diet thing and I was thinking, what, did you actually have any weight to lose? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm still the same. I've uh, just cut out carbs and uh, oh, okay, okay. I've been uh, uh, fat adapted for the last, uh, uh, coming to two years now. Wow, okay. Yeah. Well, so that means what's your, what's your diet like? I, mine is just... Uh, I, I eat mainly um, protein and a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of um, uh, non-protein stuff that are either vegetable or, or a little bit of fruit. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's helped. So helped me tremendously uh, in terms of uh, in terms of energy. In terms of uh, uh, I used to have. Um, a bit of pain, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, am I getting arthritis? Actually, you know, so uh, all gone. No pain. Oh, okay. <laughs> no pain. I feel great. Um, uh, I don't fall asleep uh, in the afternoon. I used to fight like so bad, like, oh, I don't yeah, fall asleep, okay. you know, and now none of that. But, sorry, but this change has done nothing to your weight, though. Um, actually, uh, just a little bit, but I've actually gained it back. Um, I was able to intentionally put it back uh, with a lot of um, training. So oh, we, okay. I do need to do strength training to to gain yeah. it back. Um, yeah. So, but I, I feel great actually. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Good to hear. Good to hear. So, so it looks like you found a diet that works for you. Uh, I think it's just a way that. Um, People have um, have have eaten all this time, you know. So uh, I was just remembering how the uh, the Maasai in 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 Tanzania, uh, what did they eat? And it's like, oh, you know, they ate the same food as 
kind of like what I ate, you know, but without the vegetation, they just ate animals, you know. So, yeah. It's a bit like, um, I suppose if you were an Inuit, the majority of your diet would be fat and protein, isn't it? If you're, yeah. you're, often, if you're uh, you know, the uh, Eskimo. And yeah, yeah. Just need the nutritionally denser type of food, yeah, I yeah, guess, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and you don't need to eat so much of it. So <laughs> you're already satiated from yeah. from whatever that you're getting, huh? Uh, it's quite, that's why I find it quite interesting, I suppose. I think, in my mind, I think depending on what you do, like, you know, because I'm listening to what Nicole was saying as well, mm. uh, you know, because her face is crazy. She's active from start to finish. I think it doesn't, at, to some point, it doesn't matter how much you eat, it's just going to go. Mm. You know? and, and and I suppose maybe if you're not working out like her, then you yeah. have to start to question, you know, am I eating too much of something? And do I really need it? And, and so in my mind, it's, it's, it's like that. So I think, uh, you know, we, we kind of have to find something that works along uh, our lifestyle as well. Mm, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree, I agree. Mm-hmm. It's also great that um, uh, if we're able to be, uh, to 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 uh, to allow the body to heal, because um, if we're actually loading on a, a lot of um, uh, carb-based type things, you know, the, the, the systems get so inflamed by um, glucose that has been processed in our body, you know, so... Uh, there's a, but there's a there's a I think it's a it's almost like a double-edged sword because uh, there's also research that so shows that if you're not getting the carbohydrates that you need, one thing that drops first is your immunity. So depends, I think. You know, if, I think you know maybe you need because i think you're also having a lot of your know, vegetables and all that stuff so you're, you're probably getting you know carb from that and that's probably enough for what you do in your day i you know that's how it works i think um so again i think it's definitely you know it, it sort of has to in my mind anyway i think it, it sort of has to fit in with what your lifestyle is like and that's why i say i think that's great you know you, you manage to find this diet that actually fits your lifestyle and fits your your body's metabolism, I think sometimes, in fact, not sometimes, a lot of people struggle to find what's actually good for them. So yeah, yeah, good good for you. <laughs> you know that feeling when you meet people who are passionate, so empowered by their purpose just being around them even an ant could feel like they could change the world i've met with some and learned that they too are everyday people just people who have their lives perfecting their skills so they leave a light on for those who wish to follow their path and this is the aspiration of the kurang manis podcast we'll get up close with someone world-class at their vocation and talk about their path to mastery, their daily habits, their new normal, and their legacy work. Is that you, perhaps? Join us in our next episode as we speak with yet another awe-inspiring guest. <laughs>